Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. We meet every Sunday, both in person and online at 1030 a.m. Now, in person, we are socially distanced. We're wearing masks. We're doing all the, the things we're supposed to be doing. Now, one of the, the rules in the bylaws of our church is that to appoint a trustee, we have to let you know that a special vote is happening two weeks in advance, and we have to do it in person. So November 8th, that's a Sunday, during our service, we are going to uh, vote to confirm Brandon Smith is our newest trustee. I wish I could do it online, but we're doing it in person. So if, if you consider Faith on Hill your church, and that is something that you think you need to be there for, I'm letting you know because that's in the rules to let you know. Otherwise, I hope you are uh, with us this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Wherever you're watching, uh, whether it's Sunday morning or Tuesday afternoon, if you're listening to a podcast or if you're watching video on faithonhill.com or on our Facebook page, just want to say welcome. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor of Faith on Hill Church. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be there in a little bit. We're doing a series of sermons and, and studies talking about the stories of the Christian faith. We're, we're asking and answering three questions each week. The stories that we tell, what is the story that God tells, and what is the story that we live by for any given subject. This week, we are telling the story of the Bible. Now, I wanted to suggest a couple of resources to you. I have personally either on my own read or uh, in my educational background heard enough lectures that I am very convinced of the accuracy and the authority of the Bible as the Word of God. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is accurate within about 1%, and I'll get to what that means in a minute, but I believe that the Bible is, has been accurately handed down to us from ancient times. I'm going to give you a couple of resources, uh, suggestions. The first is a great book called Encountering the New Testament. It's by Drs. Elwell and Yarborough, and they're uh, uh, theologians and scholars from Scotland, and I have found this book to be fantastic. Each chapter is about a different book of the New Testament. It also has a section of how we got uh, the New Testament. Found this to be very helpful. I also find this to be a good tool if you are just studying the Bible, especially if you're studying the Bible for the first time. Another uh, indispensable tool is Haley's Bible Handbook. I have a personal policy Anyone that wants a copy of this, I will buy it for them. My dad gave this to me when I turned 18, and I found it to be so helpful and undescribably valuable as I studied the Bible for myself. And then a few years later, I, I heard a message from a pastor who was talking about this book, and I said, I use that book too. And he said, I use this book for just about every Sunday or any time I preach. It's, it's helpful for me. And, and he said, I buy this for any person that wants it. And so I've made that my policy too. If you want one, adam at faithonhill.com, we will get you one of these. It has a little section for every chapter of the Bible. And in the back, it also has a short blurb of church history, uh, a short bit about how we got the Bible. 
fantastic resource, Haley's Bible Handbook. All of these you can get on Amazon. I will just buy you a Haley's if you want it. This, this book has also been great. I got this over the summer. I haven't finished it yet. I'm reading it right now. I read it as we camped and I'm still working through it. But it's How We Got the Bible. Uh, it's the newest of the three books that I've suggested. How We Got the Bible by Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. And he has a great section about how we got the Bible and specifically about how it was decided uh, which books of the Bible would be included and which writings would not be included. All of these are fantastic resources that I highly recommend. Now, what stories do we tell? What stories does God tell? And what stories do we live by? Now, all of those resources that I just mentioned, all of them deal with how we got the Bible. One of the stories that people tell is this. Some people say that the Bible was actually written hundreds of years after Jesus lived and died. And what they say is that in the ancient world, there were professional storytellers who would go from village to village telling stories. And that if you told the best story, you made the most money. And so what happened is over the years, the stories got more fanciful and more exciting. And it went from Jesus just being a good teacher or a good leader or a good uh, philosopher who, who was eventually killed. And all of a sudden Jesus is doing miracles and he's walking on water and he's feeding the 5,000 and then he's killed, but he comes back to life. And so what they say is that when Christianity became the official religion of Rome in the fourth century, about 300 years after Jesus lived and died, that the stories that had been more and more fanciful because of these paid storytellers were written down and that's how we got the Bible. I mention it because a lot of people believe some form of that idea. It's one of those things, as respectfully as I can say this, if you believe that, I can't help you. Because if you believe that, you are flying in the face of historical and archaeological evidence. We have parchments and scrolls and codexes and pieces of parchment and, and ancient writings that quote the scripture that are decades or centuries before the scripture was codified or canonized in the fourth century. We know that this is not the case. Incidentally, the idea that these traveling storytellers would go from village to village telling these stories flies in the face of what we know from history, that people that went around telling the Christian story tended to get put in jail, exiled, beaten, or killed. You didn't just go around telling Christian stories for money. If you believe that, it's something a lot of people believe. It's also something that is demonstrably untrue. I can, we can prove that it's untrue. But it's a story people tell. Some people say that, okay, we know that's not the case. We know that the Bible wasn't written hundreds of years after Jesus. But the, the Bible that we have right now, the Bible that we have right now is not 
the same Bible that was written, uh, and, and it, it, the text has been corrupted. We, we don't know uh, for sure exactly what should or shouldn't be in the Bible, but generally speaking, we, we think there's some good things in it, but we think that the text has been corrupted. You may have heard uh, back in the, in the 70s, there was a thing called the Jesus Seminar where these scholars got together and they decided what they thought should really be in the Bible and what shouldn't. And basically right away, they, they took out anything uh, to do with miracles. It was, it was the same thing that President Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson, second president of the United States. You may have heard of the Jefferson Bible. He went and edited out anything that didn't line up with enlightenment philosophy or enlightenment thinking. So he cut out the resurrection and he cut out miracles and he kept anything that he thought was moral given the standards of his day. And as we know, Thomas Jefferson, uh, not, not always the best guy, slave owner and all that, uh, that he, he just went off the standards of his day, which weren't always good moral standards. So people say that, that the Bible has been corrupted and that you can't trust it. I could understand that argument in the past because we didn't have the information that we currently have. People said, how could you trust that the Bible is accurate? Additionally, additionally, you may know this, you may not, but for a long period of Western church history, Christians could only read or speak aloud the words of the Bible legally in the language called Latin. And if you tried to, if you were somebody that lived in France and you tried to read or speak the Bible in French or in German or in English, they would throw you in jail and demand that you repent. And if you didn't, they would burn you alive. And many of the reformers in the Western church in the era of Martin Luther and, and John Wycliffe and, and so on, these people were persecuted because they were just trying to bring the Bible, the word of God into the language of everyday people. One of the things that they discovered was that what's called the Latin Vulgate, the translation from the original Greek manuscripts into Latin was a bad translation. And so people have said, oh, see, the translation from Greek to Latin was a bad translation. And a lot of things were translated poorly. Their meanings were, were incorrect. And so how can we trust this, the, the Bible to be true if it's been corrupted? Then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then they went back and, un, and they found ancient Greek manuscripts for the New Testament. And admittedly, we don't have the very original ones, but we have copies, some of which go back within a hundred years of the apostles. And we actually have some even older writings where, where people, the early church fathers, uh, were quoting the, the New Testament. I'll say this. Again, uh, I, I think most people, uh, you know, I personally could take a, a lecture or a class or something I listen to podcasts. I love this subject of how we got the Bible. I find it fascinating. But I'll say this. You can go into your own research. I've given you three examples I think are good scholarship and good uh, information. Um, but we, at this point, 
are pretty certain, the, the people that really study this stuff are fairly certain that it's about a 1% transmission error rate. So the, 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 the general belief is that if you had a copy of the Bible a thousand years ago, or if you had a copy of the Bible 2000 years ago, or 1800 years ago, however, however you want to put it, the difference between what the first Christians had who lived in the generation directly following the apostles and the first Christians, that second generation of Christians, that the difference between the Bible they had and the difference between that and the Bible that we have is about 1%. Some people put it a little higher, so let's call it 3%. But even then, at a 3% uh, transmission error rate, copy to copy to copy to copy, even then, most of the differences between ancient manuscripts and what we currently have, or, or things in between, ancient manuscripts, what we currently have, and then something in between, a translation, a manuscript from a 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, most of the differences are, should there be a period there or a semicolon or a comma, right? There, there are grammatical differences that don't change the, the big picture or the intent in any major way, or they're spelling mistakes. For example, when I put Milwaukee in my address, people that don't live in this area say you're spelling Milwaukee wrong because Milwaukee, Wisconsin is spelled differently. Now I looked that up when I moved here and it turns out that the way that we spell Milwaukee is actually an early way that Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Wisconsin spelled its name, and then they changed to the current and more well-known spelling. But that's kind of the same idea, that the difference between what we currently have, an English translation of the Bible, and what they might have had a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, literally could just be the difference in how you spell Milwaukee. But we're being honest about it. Christian scholarship is being honest and saying, yeah, we think there's somewhere around a one, two percent transmission rate, and for the most part, it's things like, where do you put a comma or spelling? There are things like we talked a few weeks ago, like the end of the gospel of Mark. And I know that most people don't care, but like I said, a couple of weeks ago, this is like my personal hobby horse that I believe that those last verses of the gospel of Mark should be in there. And I am appreciative of the honesty and transparency of Christian scholarship to have notes in our Bibles that say there are some people who say this shouldn't be in here. But I feel very strongly it should. That's just me. It's my little hobby horse. But the point is, if you say, well, the Bible today isn't something we should take seriously because, you know, there's all these translation errors and corruptions. Christian, not just Christian scholarship, but scholarship in general has shown that not to be true. That what we have today is incredibly accurate and far more documented. If you go and you look at the difference between the Bible and any other ancient manuscript, the, the vast weight of documentation that we have dwarfs any other ancient manuscript by comparison. Now, some people will say that, yes, okay, the Bible was written by who we think wrote the Bible, and, and the Bible is very accurate in its transmission from ancient times until today. But you know what? We shouldn't take it too literally. Uh, some of it was you know, written for different cultures and some of it's just a metaphor or an allegory. And that is a debate that exists within the Christian faith. 
Do you take the Bible fully, partially, or thematically literal? Do you take it fully literal? That everything in the Bible is true no matter what. It's just literal as can be. Do you take it partially literal? You know what? Most of the stuff in the Bible is, is true, but you know maybe the, the, there are parts that are meant to be an allegory or maybe there's something that um, you know, was a story that they included that had a good moral meaning or something. But, but, you know. And then there's people that say thematically it's true. You know, maybe Jesus didn't literally walk on water, or maybe Jonah wasn't literally swallowed by a fish. But the the point isn't whether he was swallowed by a fish or whether God created the earth in six days. The, The thematic point is literally true, that God created all things, however he did it, or that Jonah, whatever happened, the thematic point is true, that God wanted him to go somewhere and he ran the other way and God called him back. That's the thematic truth. And so there's a debate about, is it fully, partially, or thematically true? I'll tell you where I stand. I believe that the word of God is both, is, let me back this up here. This is where where we say, as a church, we believe that the word of God is, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. What we mean by that is this. The Bible is not just one book, but it's a collection of 66 books that was written over a 1,500-year period by over 40 authors in about three different languages, primarily in Hebrew and Greek with some other languages thrown in. When we say inspired, we, we we mean this, that someone wrote either a history or a teaching or a song or a poem or even, I think, uh, in the case of Song of Songs, a play or a vision. Whatever it is that, that they wrote down, they wrote because God inspired them and they still had their personality as a writer, as a human being. They still had their experience, their language, their cultural context. And we understand that all of that is true and we have to kind of wade through and filter all of that. But they wrote as God inspired them. And not everything that they wrote was meant to be in the Bible. We know that the apostles wrote other books and other letters besides the ones we have in the Bible. Some of them are talked about in the Bible. And yet God didn't see fit to include those. Uh, in, In the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, there are things like the book of the wars of the kings or, or these other books that are referenced and yet they weren't included. Or there were things like the Apocrypha, the, the, the book of Maccabees, First and Second Maccabees or um, other, other things, the, um, uh, the Shepherd of Hermes in the New Testament, these are the New Testament era, I should say. And these things were writings that were, um, they're fine, they're good or they're influential or they're encouraging or whatever they weren't accepted as scripture by either the, uh, the Jewish people before Jesus or the church after Jesus. So I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that the Bible is both literally true and figurative at the same time. So when somebody says, was well, the Bible fully true or partially true or just thematically true, I kind of say all of the above depending on what we're talking about. 
which people don't like, right? People like new, they don't like nuance. They like an easy soundbite answer. Which is it? Depends. If you go to a funeral, let's say you go to a funeral and, and you know, it's your friend's, uh, your friend's grandma and you're going because you love your friend and you, you want to be there for them and they loved their grandma so much. And, and if it was like my family, uh, uh, my great-grandma Elsie, Great-grandma Elsie was the, the, the matriarch of our family on my dad's side. Um, and she, you know, when she died, I actually, it was the, as a pastor, it was the first funeral that I officiated. And um, I did her funeral. And, and people would say things that were true, like Elsie was the rock of our family. She was just such a solid rock that our family rested on. That's a true story. But nobody thinks that Grandma Elsie was a rock or that she was in any way made of rock. No, they just mean that Grandma Elsie was a solid lady and that the foundation of our family was built on her relationship to Grandpa Orville and her love for her kids and her grandkids and her nieces and her nephews and the cousins and the, all, everything. So when the Bible says God is our rock, God is a strong fortress that the righteous can run into and be saved. No one thinks that God is a literal rock. No one thinks that the Bible is saying that somewhere in this world, there is a castle or a fortress that is God. And that if we just find it, we'll have no problems. We understand that that's a metaphor, that, that God is solid. He is sure. He is stable. And we can place our faith firmly in him for his protection and his support. So I believe the Bible is literally true, except where it's obviously figurative. And then where it's figurative, then I believe it is thematically true. Do I believe there's any part of the Bible that's partially true? Not really. I mean, I guess partially would depend on how you view this whole literal versus figurative thing. Um, I will say that with that like one to 3% transmission error, um, for example, the transfiguration, Jesus goes up onto this mountain with Peter, James, and John. Uh, he's revealed in his glory. Moses and Elijah show up. We're not for some reason. And, and this weird thing happens. And then one of the gospels says that they went back down the hill and that on, when they got to the bottom of the hill, they were met by a group of people. Another gospel says that on the way down, they're halfway down the hill. They were met by a group of people. Which one is it? Only one of those can be true, right? So I suppose you could say that one is true and one isn't. I don't think it matters personally. It could also be that there's ways that that could both be true, but I don't even want to get into that. The point I'm making is this. I believe the Bible is all true. But what story does God tell? God tells us a few things about the Bible. The first is this, and, and I said to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You can look in verse 16, and this is Paul, one of the apostles, and he's writing to Timothy, who was a young guy, and he was the pastor of all of the churches in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a big city in what's now modern-day Turkey, and he wouldn't have just been in charge of one church, but there would have been like a network of house churches over one of the bigger cities in the region. So if there's like 
you know, a few thousand or, or a few tens of thousands of people living in this area, they would have had a network of house churches in the city. And then he probably was also overseeing a network of house churches in the region surrounding the city, in little villages and towns that surrounded the city, kind of the same way as like we have Portland, but then around Portland, you know, we have, um, you know, Forest Grove and, and Oregon City. And um, uh, you know, that's the same idea. So he's writing to him and he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what the Bible is saying is, and what God is saying about the Bible through Paul is that all scripture is from God. That's one of the things people wrestle with. You know, yeah, the Bible is there, but it shouldn't all be taken literally. And one of the questions that comes with that is, are we to live according to the Bible or do we take 2020 norms, the, the things that we believe in 2020 are culturally normal for us, and then try to project those onto the Bible or make the Bible fit in with our cultural norms. The same way that President Jefferson took his Bible and cut out sections that didn't fit in with the Enlightenment philosophy of his day, do Christians in 2020 take the Bible and try to make it fit with our cultural norms, whatever those are, whether you're urban or rural, conservative or progressive, whatever your cultural norm is in 2020, do we make the Bible fit that? And what I believe God is saying is all scripture is God breathed. And we know that all scripture is not going to fit with all of our cultural norms. So all scripture is true no matter what year it is. The scripture was true in 1930 when there was horrible and institutionalized segregation and racism in our, in our country. The scripture was true in 1960s. The scripture is true in 2020. And as we have changed what we've considered good and bad and some of it for the better and some of it for the worse. The Bible has never stopped being true. It has always been true and it's always been useful so that you and I can be equipped for every good work. Do you know who confirms what God is saying about that? Let me give you a list here. First of all, Jesus confirms the Bible in Matthew chapter 19 and in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus takes two of the more controversial parts of the Bible in our day and he says they're true. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus confirms a literal Adam and Eve. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus confirms a literal Noah and a literal flood. And if Jesus believed those things, who am I to question them? And somebody comes along and they say, well, how can you believe that? How can you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Well, it never says whale, first of all. And second, we believe that God saw this broken and fallen and messed up world 
and he wanted to save us and we couldn't save ourselves. So he had to do the job for us. So God became a man and that man, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh lived a perfect life and was crucified. And when he was crucified, when he was put to death, even though he had done nothing wrong, he had done nothing that deserved death, that God put all of the sin of the world that has ever been committed, that ever will be committed, and he put it on Jesus' shoulders and that Jesus paid the judgment, the penalty, the punishment for our sins and all sins. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he was victorious over sin and death. And over 500 people who had seen Jesus before he had been crucified and then seen him crucified and known that he was in the, in the grave for three days, 500 eyewitnesses saw him and saw somebody that they believed to be Jesus Christ who had been put to death and now was alive. That's not to mention the thousands of people that saw the miracles he performed during his earthly life and ministry and the many more thousands who saw the, the miracles and the signs and the wonders that accompanied the apostles of Jesus and that I believe still accompany the preachers of, of the gospel of Jesus to this day. And if Jesus confirms these parts of the Bible, who am I to not take them seriously and to not take them literally and to not take them authoritatively? Additionally, the Holy Spirit confirms the Bible. Now, I fully admit that not all evidence is the same. For example, I once heard uh, somebody ask a very well-known preacher, why do you believe in God? And that well-known pastor said this, because my mother told me it was true. And then he said, I know that that doesn't mean anything to you because you don't know my mother, but it means a lot to me. And the point he's making is not that we should believe the Bible just because his mother told him so. Because maybe you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, my mom also told me about Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. The point is not about his mother telling us, but it's that for him, the evidence of his mother's faith carried weight for him. The reason I believe in Jesus is not because of the faith of my father, but when my dad was given a death sentence, when he was told that he was going to die in less than six months from cancer, and then the next day, got us all in the van and we drove to church. And I remember asking him, why are you going to worship God? You're dying. And he said, he quoted Job from the Old Testament. And he said, even if God kills me, I will worship him. That means something to me. I don't expect it to mean anything to you. But what I'm saying is this, not all evidence carries the same weight for every person. But when I read the Bible, the Holy Spirit testifies to me and my soul that this is true. And I have seen the supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit. I've seen lives changed, including my own. I've seen people healed. My dad, God chose to bring, to bring home. He, he chose to have my dad die of cancer. But one of my oldest friends, his mom was miraculously divinely healed of cancer. I've seen people healed. I've seen lives changed. I've seen the work of God, the Holy Spirit, confirming the word of God to be true. The church also confirms the word of God to be true. Again, remember that idea that, you know, 
the the Bible is just the collection of the best stories that storytellers dr- you know dreamed up. That's not true. And uh, you can go and read for yourself. I've recommended some books. I think there's also a uh, a few other books that are great. There's um, a book whose name I cannot remember, uh, but I had to read it for school, and it was talking about the same thing as another book whose name I can remember called Sojourners and Strangers by Dr. Uh, Dr. Gregory Allison, um, who's down in Texas now, but he used to be a, a seminary professor here in Portland. And both of the, the books whose name I can't remember and Sojourners and Strangers make this point, that there were a lot of books floating around some of them written by the actual apostles and some of them not. And generally speaking, by the time we got to the place where church leaders gathered together and they said, what are the actual books that we have? The church at large had already accepted, generally speaking, the books that we currently have. And I found this to be the case. The more I thought about this, some new heresy or or odd belief or odd practice comes into the church and it gets very popular. And then it just kind of gets weird for a while, but eventually the church sort of purges it. And the true believers, the true Christians always seem to come back to the simplicity of the faith as we understand it through the Bible. So the church confirms the Bible. That doesn't mean that every church holds the Bible with equal importance or that every Christian holds the Bible with equal importance. I would argue that any church that doesn't hold the Bible as the authoritative, inspired word of God uh, might not be a true church. And history supports the Bible. Again, like I said earlier, the fact that we have more um, evidence, historical, archaeological, documented evidence for the Bible than any other ancient book is huge. Second Peter chapter three, verses 15 and 16, Peter, like, you know, Peter from the Bible, Peter from Peter, James, and John, Peter who denied Jesus three times, that, that Peter, he's writing to a bunch of Christians and he mentions Paul who wrote a bunch of the books of the Bible. And he said, you know what? Sometimes the apostle Paul writes things that are hard to understand, or sometimes he writes things that are hard to live, hard to accept. But the people who ignore his words or who twist his words do so to their own destruction. There was an understanding that the apostles had that they were writing scripture. And we don't 100% know how they knew or what they knew, but there was some understanding. And then you can read the writings of people like Eusebius and Irenaeus, these people that were the, the Christians who led the church directly after the apostles. And they would write to churches the same way that John and Peter and Paul and James did. But then they would also say, hey, we're not writing scripture. This is our opinion. Um, This is something hopefully to encourage you or to strengthen you, but it's not the word of God. It's not the scriptures. Read their writings because that is the word of God. So Jesus confirms the Bible. The Holy Spirit confirms the Bible. The church confirms the Bible and history confirms the Bible. That's the story I believe God is telling, that the word of God is true, the word of God is authoritative, and the word of God is useful to us so that we can be equipped for every good work that God has for us. But what story do we actually live? I'm going to be honest. Some people use the Bible as an excuse not to believe. 
Because if you just can believe one of these stories, oh, the Bible was written hundreds of years after Jesus, or oh, the, you know, the Bible that we have today is corrupted and it's not the original text, or you know what, the, the, the Bible was written to an ancient culture and they were primitive in their understanding and it's not true for what we think is normal and okay in 2020. And they use that as an excuse not to believe. All I can say is if that's your excuse not to believe, then again, either you are choosing to ignore the great and vast evidence of history and archaeology, or you are using this as an excuse to not deal directly with the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's what other people do. They say, you know what? Yes, the Bible is good. And, and you'll hear this a lot. You know, I really love the writings of Jesus. I like the red letters. You know, some Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red. And uh, as opposed to every other part of the Bible where the ink is black. And they say, I like the red letters. I like the part where Jesus is talking, but I don't like these other parts of the Bible. And so I'm going to edit out the parts I don't like. What does God say? All scripture, all scripture is God breathed and is useful. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The true servant of God is not going to edit out parts of God's word. And if you edit out parts of God's word, then you edit out his training and his correction and his equipping of you and if you say, well, that part isn't relevant, then you're saying that that sin that you want to ignore, what, whatever that sin is, and every side, old and young, right and left, they all have sins they want to ignore. And if you edit out that part of the Bible, then you won't say, then you'll, you'll deny that Jesus died to cover and, and forgive and redeem that sin. So what do Christians do with it? Can I say, if you, are the true, if you are a true follower of Jesus, if you are a true follower of Jesus, Christians wrestle, wrestle with the Bible. What do I mean by that? Jesus, in John chapter 5, verse 39, was talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you search the scriptures, and you read all of them, and the Pharisees would have known more of the Bible by heart, by memory, than any of us, except maybe John Larson. The Pharisees would have known more of the Bible than me or you by memory because they thought that gave them holiness or spirituality or right standing before God. But he said, but Jesus said to them, you've got all this knowledge in your head, but the scriptures are, are the thing that testify of Jesus. Uh, he, he said, they're what testify of me as your Messiah, as your King, as your Savior, as your God. I know that Jesus is here and there are parts of the Bible that I have a hard time with. That might surprise you to hear a pastor say that, but it's true. There are parts of the Bible that I have a hard time with. And then maybe the parts of the Bible I have a hard time with, you don't. But there's some part of the Bible that I don't have a hard time with that you really struggle with. Can I encourage you to keep struggling with it, to keep wrestling with it? Because I know that all scripture is true and it's God-breathed and it's useful for me and for you. 
And if I just choose to stop struggling, stop wrestling, and I just ignore it, then I'm going to miss out on the testimony that that part of the Bible has to who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do. We got to keep wrestling. And the parts of the Bible that we can easily accept, accept them with joy. And the parts of the Bible that we don't understand, we continue to ask for understanding. And the parts of the Bible that are offensive to us or that are really something we want to push back against, we got to keep wrestling and have faith that God is true and that God is, is, knows what he's doing when he, when he inspired someone to write that. Now, I have not covered everything. I didn't cover genre differences. I didn't cover, uh, you know, is, is this book of the Bible historical or allegorical? Is it, is it meant for today? Or was it, you know, a, a law that's meant for some other time? I am going to get into that a little bit in a few weeks when we talk about covenants. So possibly I will answer your questions in a few weeks. But if you do have a question, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. Love to talk with you. Here's what I know. I, I know that I believe fully that there was no other faith that addresses my sin. Because even if I never did a single bad thing the rest of my life, what's going to take care of all the things that I did wrong in the past? And that only Jesus has provided that means of having all of my transgressions, all of my record wiped out, cleansed fully. And if I start to deny parts of the Bible, then I start to deny that means of salvation and that means of empowerment so that I can and you can be equipped for righteousness in God. Like I said, I know I, know I haven't covered everything. It's not exhaustive. This isn't a college class or a, a, a long lecture. But if you have questions, you can email me at adam at faithonhill.com. Here's what I know. Jesus is real. And if you have struggles with some part of the Bible, focus on Jesus. And I have found that the work of the Holy Spirit has brought me to a place of submission to Jesus in the parts of the Bible that I struggle with, in the parts of the Bible I don't understand, in the parts of the Bible that don't fit my 2020 way of thinking. And I believe that God can do that work for you as well. God bless you.